Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio, a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. This show is all about empowering you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but we'll show you just how easy it can be when you know exactly which small things really do matter. If fighting climate change is something that's important to you, or possibly just something you're curious to learn more about, please consider subscribing to Everyday Enviro wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm joined by the legendary Rob Duncan, co-founder of your favorite gelato company and mine, Dolcezza. Rob, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Danielle. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to chat with you, man. Um, so, Rob, this show exists to teach our listeners about the million little ways they can reduce their carbon footprint. I can't think of an easier way than eating well-sourced, locally-made gelato. So let's get to the bottom of why choosing well matters. I know you've been involved with the National Good Food Awards for many years. In fact, you and I have judged the awards together a couple of times. What does the term good food mean to you? I, I mean, I guess to start, good food always, to me, first and foremost, is that, it's, um, that it tastes good, right? I mean, that, that, that's something with the whole local soapbox platform that, you know, um, kind of the conversations um, and the business that we're at always tend to gravitate around. First, it's got to taste good. Got to lead with delicious. Because I swear I would not buy local food. Exactly right. If it tastes like shit. You're not going to give it a pass just because it's local. Right. That's the entry point. That's like the gateway, you know, to get into it. So first, good food is that. It tastes good. So, I mean, if it, so the next obvious thing is nutrient density or whatever. It's got to be good for you. That, that's something that's really important as well. I mean, because mm-hmm. there's a good, there's one thing about a good salad from the farmer's market, you know, a good bag of Cheetos. There's a little bit difference <laughs> as far as like, that goes, as far as like good means and applies to there. Um, so it's got to be good for you as well. You know, th- those are really the two pillars of it as far as um, that kind of, um, I, I think guide most of the decisions, and I and I actually have always said like this whole local, um, you know, we're a business, fifteen years, and we probably like sixty percent, seventy percent of the stuff across the year that we buy is local, mm-hmm. um, and those that it's not the whole, I, it's not honestly for the um, the ethics breast beating of like you know this is the mission and I am on a mission. It's not honestly, it was never really from that. It was like. Bialette and I would go to the farmer's market on our own before we opened mm-hmm. and buy food for ourselves to bring home and to cook because it was the best way to cook. So the the good tasting, delicious, and good for you is something that to me defines good food primarily. So speaking of those relationships that you built in the early days of the farmer's market um, and you have scaled throughout the years in business, what standards do you guys apply when you're considering entering a relationship with a farmer or producer? So that's another, you know, it's really interesting because I, when I said good food is delicious and good for you, 
I, do, I don't talk about the personalities that are behind the growing or the raising or the making of it. And to us, that's about as important as all of it. And actually, it's one leads to the other. So really, it's kind of, um, you know, I think first, maybe, um, we've, we kind of sniff out and search out the characters that mm-hmm. are wily and aligned to us, you know, and they <laughs> have that twinkle in their eye. And if we can, like, start off a conversation about... Um, whatever the cosmos and um, and all these other interesting subjects, then we'll maybe do business with them. Try to find some spiritual alignment. Yeah, because that intangible craziness shows up in everything that yeah. they do. I mean, right? you view the world the same way, right? And so it's like it's something that you go and find the people that you align to that you have an affinity with, mm-hmm. and if that's there, then you can do business with them. And that's that applies um, and always did apply. With um, Zachariah Lester, with Heinz and Gabrielle of Next Step, you know, even like Bev Eggleston today, trading flowers with Bob Woolham, the coolest, oldest, hippest stoner ever to walk the planet and grows the best flowers. Um, and then Perry Dell, the, the dairy farmers up there who were turned on to us from um, Mark and Melanie of Keswick Creamery. So... You know, I said it's got to be good for it's got to be good and delicious. It's got to be good for you. But really, the unseen dimensions that I never had thought about getting into this whole world of local um, business with and local, working with local farmers is the community of people for sure. that you um, automatically and um, meet and become a part of your ecosystem and environment and your friend base and you get to know their families. You go out to their farm and you learn so much about what farming means Mm -hmm. and how difficult it is and how amazing it is to, you know, to see Heinz's biodynamic farm where he heats his greenhouses with wood fire that has a second chamber that actually burns the ashes from the wood fire. You know, it's just like it's so hardcore, these people that are doing it much more hardcore than most of us ever imagine and, and have very little awareness. And so anytime I have very little tolerance for anybody talking and complaining about price point mm-hmm. when you talk about that. And I understand the exclusivity of a farmer's market where it's $25 for a whole chicken. I understand that too, mm-hmm. for it's not accessible to most people. But we right? also have matching dollars programs. and Right, right. That, you know, that has lots of pressure to be like taken away and like Certainly. the SNAP program and all that stuff. But um so yeah you know it's um there's a lot of um parts of it to like working with the local farmers and the local food makers that is really amazing beyond just the fact that it tastes delicious so i want to just back it up real quick for listeners who are not necessarily like as uh don't have as close a relationship as you as you and i do with these folks so i'm going to give you guys some pro tips on where you can find these farmers that uh rob is talking about so he basically just ran down sort of like the hit list of the dupont farmers market vendors so he no mentioned Willem. so bob Willem runs um Willem gardens they make like beautiful indigenously raised flowers and they sell at dupont and there's a cool event happening october the 19th on um bob's farm that we're going to be going and doing the coffee gelato say lou's going to be there for the pastries and cool. it's kind of like this literary book reading ted talk of workshops um an event happening october the 19th out at woolham gardens october I should, I should. 19th jeff thank you yeah awesome. so i am you know i should have the address and url but i don't that's so okay google google it <laughs> <laughs> um he also mentioned bev so bev is the founder of eco-friendly farms he mentioned zach zach runs tree and leaf farms heinz runs next step produce all of these guys show up at the dupont farmers market 
um, almost every Sunday. So if you want to sort of get to know the products that Rob is talking about and meet the farmers that he has developed these relationships with, you can go down there and meet these guys for yourself. They are, um, in, they are operators of the highest integrity. Trailblazers in the whole um, local farming movement, uh, definitely in the mid-Atlantic, doing stuff beyond what um, the requirements. And, uh, uh, you know, another one to be mentioned there that's like super close and goes back more than a decade is Casey and Stacy who are at the farm at Sunnyside, mm-hmm. also in DuPont Market. And just their their food and their personalities, their farms, operations are amazing. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for those recommendations. Definitely. So obviously, uh, you know, I talked to the beer guys, and we talk about their biggest ingredient, how they source that, the wine guys, and how they treat their grapes. For you, it's, it's all about the dairy. Um, so tell us about the milk and the cream you're using. Where does it come from? And how did you choose the Perry family as your dairy purveyor? So, you know... You have milk needs and you have cream needs making gelato. The milk is a little bit easier to secure um, because it's, you know, you bring it out of the cow and you bottle it. Where cream, you have to have a certain amount of technology, which has, you know, the infrastructure and the equipment to separate, throw the, the milk into the, the, the separator. Essentially, it takes out one product is the skim milk and then what's left over is the heavy cream. So forever, we were always looking for the right farmer to bring us milk and cream. And one day, um, more than a decade ago, Melanie and Mark of Keswick Creamery, also at the DuPont Market with their, their um, cheeses and everything, and we would always get the ricotta cheese from them to make the lemon ricotta cardamom um, in DuPont. They said, hey, we have some friends um, who they had met at like the Renaissance um, festival. It's like really interesting. These, they, they quit, they, they go on vacation for a week and I forget what it's called, but it's not the Renaissance festival. It's where you go, I'm blinking on the, the name of it, but basically you go and you dress up for a whole week. The whole thing. And the garb and you put on the roll and you are back in the Middle Ages. Amazing. Are you eating camp. turkey legs, drinking yeah, glue? Yeah, like, jousting your best on. friend and stuff like that. It's really funny. They really go hardcore. And They're like reenactors. and all that stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, it's called Penwick, I think. Uh, like, um, something like that. Um, so... They told us about friends of theirs from that circle of the Renaissance, um, Chip, Greg, and Tom Perry up in York, PA, that have all that stuff. So we went up there to visit them and talk to them and checked out the operation. And they have roughly about 300, 350 Holstein cows. It's a closed herd, which means that you birth the new milking cows and raise them. They have the milking parlor. They have the bottler. They have the separator, the homogenizer, all of that stuff. And so back when we were still in Georgetown in the kitchen, um, you know, that's like been, I think 2012 is when we moved to Union Market. So it's probably close to um, 10 years ago. We um, had it all set up. Chip came down with Tom, his brother, um, to Georgetown to deliver our first order of milk. I don't know. It was like 500 gallons of whole milk and maybe like 100 of skim milk and maybe 50 of heavy cream and half and half for the coffee bar. So they came down to Georgetown on a Friday, got in all the traffic. Mm-hmm. Fine, you know, there's no... They're having a great time. No loading dock, <laughs> no commercial parking there by the Georgetown kitchen. And so obviously they're like, um, unload the, the milk and um, and then went back. And basically then I talked to them the next day and they were, they were like, fuck that. We're never doing yeah, that for again. Sure. There's no way for in sure. hell I'm coming down from my farm in York, PA to deliver um, the, the dairy needs to you. So from then on... And for probably like um, four years, 
I drove the white cargo van unrefrigerated on, um, on Friday up to York, PA. Wow. I would bring my tarp and I would bring my bags of ice to like lay all the, the milk <laughs> in the crates in the van, cover it with a tarp and then cover it with ice and then drive back and deliver to the Georgetown, to the Bethesda and to the, to the DuPont shop. Wow. It was that important for it was you to that important. that relationship yeah. with that vendor. And honestly, to this day, to this day, I've yet ever to taste milk like that. I don't know exactly what it is. And they make comments on it. A lot of other people, it's like maybe the terroir, I don't make, but it is the most amazing, uh, the most amazing mouthfeel tasting milk that that I've had to this day, so hence the best gelato in the world. Uh, it translates for sure you <laughs> directly. Know? And so that, that to like kind of when we moved into the factory because we had grown to um, by that time like six stores, mm-hmm. we had the volume needs that then justified them renting a truck. And then originally it had a driver that they would have um, help out. He since um, had left, and so now it's Chip that makes the drive down. So weekly drives down here to um deliver the dairy so it's worth it again yeah yeah thankfully yeah now it's finally it's come back to where we actually can call and get a a weekly delivery that's amazing and i'm not driving the van anymore Uh, i'm so glad to hear (laughs) that i love it though you know Um, still so what about the fruit so i mean you know the thing that the easy tagline with anything the fruit or the um the vegetables or the you know the root vegetables the herbs or any of that even the honey the ciders the maple syrup anything that we can get from the local area we're going to use that exclusively in the retail shops so it's kind of like in the evolution of our business we have the retail side and the wholesale side mm-hmm. and there are kind of the differences between those two where I always say that the the retail shops are like it's the peacock's feather you know it's like that's where the the showpiece yeah the brilliance is and so that's like hardcore strict you're only going to find strawberries in the in the scooping cabinet from May to June probably like 6 depending on the weather 8 weeks of um, strawberry gelato, roasted strawberry on the gelato the side. Mascarpone and berries. Uh, yeah, the mascarpone and berries. I mean, and then the strawberry tarragon sorbet. Yeah. So any of the stuff, it's and the herbs or all the fruits and all, if it's grown here locally, then it's going to be strictly during its natural season. So retail flavors translates to, I would just say 250 flavors sure. that we run across the year. So um, it's, it's really cool. Wholesale, we do, you know, it started with local hotels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we would, st- we started hardcore like that. But then they were like, look, it's December and my hotel guest wants a strawberry to his room. And so, you know, then we went and we found organic strawberries and we would roast them. And we would always say, look, this is not the local strawberries grown by the same, the same grower of strawberries I've worked with for 13 years. Agriberry. Agriberry. And it was Chuck Geyer who was the grower of Westmoreland Berry Farms um, back in the day before he left there and went to Agriberry. So, mm-hmm. so there, you know, and, and, and I used, honestly, I used to be um, not upset, but it was a hard thing for me to make that, to make that um, compromise. Certainly. Say, look, I'm not going to use Chuck's strawberries um, in the wholesale because he doesn't have the fresh grown strawberries all year round. Um, and so we would go and get frozen strawberries to offer that in the wholesale world. So, you know, it's you know, important. To, it's a to tough conflict to reconcile, and it's certainly one we have to deal with at Glenn's. You know, in the first five years, we didn't make any exceptions at all to our local sourcing, and then we kind of did it mindfully in a really 
specific way, but you know, there is the guy that wants a freaking BLT in January and you right. can't sell a sandwich that celebrates a tomato right. in January. Right. Um, you can try, but you, you won't be try. in business for too long. It's That's the thing. Putting out a crappy sandwich. Yeah. Right. So like you're, you're left with this conflict. Do I say no to what the person wants or do I make myself an inconvenient place to shop by not offering what they're looking for all the time? Right. And so there's a confluence of, um, decisions that you have to make Certainly. i mean there is and there is the to, to be a small business owner there's always the interest of survival mm-hmm. i mean you have to like survive and you have to have the sales to be able to exist and then to make the difference as far as the um from who you purchase your yeah, stuff from for sure so, you know so what we did about the tomato problem specifically was we created a sandwich that had a roasted tomato for the winter so it's called the margola so it's a roasted to- it's basically a um, a caprese sandwich, but with roasted tomatoes. So in the winter, when tomatoes are not sweet, we're roasting them to bring out the sweetness, and we can still use the tomatoes that we're getting from Charlottesville. But you know, the, it, I just cringe at the order for a BLT in January. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, it's on, like man. it's good to find other people in the industry as hardcore as you are. You know, it's like because you don't. You just ticked off all their names, though. Well, I mean, like, the thing is, it's very you know, it's few and far between. And yeah, that's why it's kind of like. The, the whatever the saying is it's lonely at the top not saying that we're at the top at all but i'm just saying it's like it's like you know you have concentric greens of how hardcore you are certainly and what it are whatever it is that you do you know so, fact yeah it's good to be here with a fellow colleague <laughs> Daniel. true believer that's for sure yeah um so we're talking with rob duncan about dolceza and what the term good food means to him and his company we're going to take a short break when we get back we'll get some tips on building community through food back in a sec Thank you. 
Welcome back. This is Everyday Enviro, a show about the small things you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. I'm Danielle Vogel, founder of Glens Garden Market, and I'm joined today by the amazing and thoughtful Rob Duncan, co-founder of Dolceza. I have to come back for my confidence here, like Danielle said, <laughs> and just can say stuff about me. I love it. Thank I'm you. a <laughs> huge fan. I will tell you outright, I always have two uh, pints of Dolceza in my freezer, the salted caramel and the Valrhona dark chocolate. Oh, uh, you're awesome. My favorites. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about his company's sourcing standards in the context of a conversation about the term good food. And now we're going to give you some tips about how you can make climate change progress one lick at a time by choosing your gelato wisely. So, Rob, we've talked a bit about your ingredients, but there's obviously much more to it than that when it comes to your company's environmental impact. What else is Dolceza doing to reduce its carbon footprint? Yeah, no, I mean, it's like I have like um, stuff like Max from I think his company is called Pluver, who comes by the factory like twice a week and picks up all the... Um, coffee grounds that because we make cold brew coffee um, ourselves so I mean I think in the summertime we're purchasing over 400 pounds of coffee a week to make the cold brew concentrate extraction um, in our factory then we bottle it up and then each individual shops order it and then we we deliver it to all the shops so there's a lot of coffee grounds at the factory that Max comes through and picks up and he's starting his composting business. And so it's, uh, we work with Max in that. We've worked and talked with um, Jeremy of Compost Cab also, who started the DuPont mm-hmm. Farmer's Market, about taking that, al- that model also to the retail shops as well, because there's lots of coffee that's spent in the ground Certainly. in the shop. So, you know, I mean, and, and then stuff like biodegradable containers and all the cups and the pla- you know the plastic is such a hardcore thing mm-hmm. that's um, it's I mean there seems to be a lot of momentum to um, fight back or um, reduce the amount of plastics but you know I, I honestly I don't sit here as being like a, I mean I, I try to do everything that I can but I don't consider myself so much like a the top model for for some of that stuff because I mean as I sit here our pints that we have in grocery store shelves are plastic petroleum based mm-hmm. plastic so you know we talk to the plant based plastics company to see if like you know they can work with us and making a custom mm-hmm. um, plastic the thing is when it's you're gotta in, be rigid enough right, to hold when up when you're in a freezer when yeah. you're in a freezer container they really don't have the solution for that so then there's obviously the paper right but you know that the you paper containers, the you can't see the product, and but it's wax lined. Plastic. And so exactly. you, can't even, you can't even recycle that. Yeah, you've got the same problem Or biodegradable. There. I mean, yep. I guess you can recycle it, but the biodegradability. You, you actually can't. So right. the, the problem is they're lined with plastic, just like a hot cup would be. So they take 50 years to decompose. Right. Um, so the paper, you can't see the product. And also, it's not as eco-sensitive as you might right. think. But we're still, you know, we're doing different tests and prototype. I mean, honestly, because of... Um, and having those talks because it's perception. Mm-hmm. Because the, the paper material, the paper pints, is perceived as better than the plastic. I mean, I, I, maybe you can tell me more than that. What is the better way? I mean, they've both got petroleum-based plastic that is part of the container, you know? So Yeah, we just need to make sure we're using plastics that are, in fact, recyclable right. in most municipalities. All, yeah, right. All, I mean, the plastic pints that we have right now are recyclable. Yeah. So, you know, I mean... I feel like we do everything that we can, recycle and compost in all of the shops and any of the um, the, the greenware um, um, coffee containers, the iced coffee and the straws and the paper, the, the napkins, the bowls and all that, recyclable or compostable. But honestly, honestly, 
in order to, I mean, and it's very important for all of us small guys and girls to make the difference and to make the choices that they do, but really for this kind of stuff to make an impact where we need to see it, industry, world leaders have to do it. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean... Government's how, not going to. Right. How, you know, how in the world is it possible that we still produce plastic that we do? What is the, the stats on a it's milk a, gallon container is here? Like, um, how many years after you throw that out? Oh, I, I mean, know, depending like on the waste 500 can, years. Yeah, it can be longer than that. Yeah. And we're producing a million plastic bottles an hour. You know, when, we, when and I wonder, when did we realize that? You know, that's probably in the 70s when so, you know, so much information on all this stuff happened. That It always blows me away of like, how have we known all this time those stats? I make a milk gallon container and sold and it's thrown out and that will be that milk gallon container will be here 500 years yep. from now how did the motherfuckers that control and make the decisions that they do of industry and world leaders not go what the fuck are we doing stop all plastic right now we can do the heavy metals we can do the glasses we can do this you know the steel because that's meltdown and reforged and recycled but any of this stuff that's not biodegradable and returned to compost and to the soil you can't do it anymore it's just not, not for any other reason than being smart because i mean they, it's just really stupid it's somebody that lives in their house and they shit in their own yard yep. until their whole yard you know so um i you know I, I can really get on these kinds of rants because you me all the other small businesses around we try I mean, most of us try. Some don't care. Some don't care. Some don't. Most, I, I think most don't care, really. Or there's, maybe there's a gradient of that. And like, some care, but not so much. But yeah. each into their own. I'm not here to do that. Many only do what they can get good press about, but they yeah. don't thoroughly care. Yeah, and so you have your spin and all that stuff. So it's like in order to really, really make the um, impact that's needed right now that's drastic and radical, we really need help from the, the big industry. I mean, forget, I don't even want to say government. Government's broke. Yeah. To, I think it's naive to think of a solution coming from government at this stage. So I think it is the industry where there is still innovation. And, you know, I mean, they move where the market is. You could very easily make this whole thing a big marketable thing as far as sustainability and compostability and all that. So, yeah. you know, I mean... I don't know. We try to do everything that we can, and, and we no longer, we, long time ago, we don't sell water bottles. We just put filtered lines in with either the glass or the plastic cups for re, the reusable. So any of those kinds of things, we try to do it ourselves and try to do it the most mindful way of doing it where it has the least amount of impact because, you know, I have three kids, and... and they it's will not have a world to live in if we continue our neglectful you, ways. If, if 50% 50 of what science um, is saying right now about the situation that we're in, it is so, it is so far beyond reckoning with yeah. as far as what's possibly to come because of the way that we consume, 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 Recklessly. consume, consume. And yeah. we've got you know, a Congress that won't look beyond its own political horizons. Like I said, po politics is broken right now as, as far as it's dead. Heard on that. That's actually why I got out of the game and got yeah, into food exactly, in the first place. To do it, to take direct action. Exactly right. So I don't want to minimize, though, the environmental impact of, of your sourcing standards and decisions. So right. that is, I would say, probably by far the biggest thing the you The biggest do. thing is how we purchase, you know, and it's like that's the stuff that's like other than if we put a post like local gingers now in season from Gabrielle and Heinz and all that and they deliver to us on Wednesday I don't. I think that is the the most important it's in the by sense far. that meaning that if everybody kind of did that, and this used to be how everybody did, right? Before industry developed and wholesale and distribution from all around the world and mm -hmm. all this, and you had, um, you you no longer had seasons and all that. 
this is how you always used to do it. We used to pull from our local area what was ever grown in that moment in time. And so it is, it's not, it's nothing new. It's actually going back to the way that it always was. And again, I, I honestly, I don't do it to be um, a steward of the environment. Although I feel, I mean, I am, I, I love the earth. You know, I've had so many amazing experiences of watching red tail hawks circle and sunsets and surfing and ocean breaks and all that, you know, it's like, um, but that, I mean, this is done because of the, it's like, I always try, whatever it is I do, I try to find the best way of doing it. Mm-hmm. The one that just like um, touches deep, deep points inside of myself. And just last night, and I just had this conversation with somebody else. I sit at the table with my, myself, Bileta, my wife, my three little girls, um, and my father-in-law. And my father-in-law and mother-in-law lived downstairs eight months of the year. We sat at the table. I had a roast chicken from Bev. I had salad greens from Casey and Stacy, had their cucumber, it had their tomato, I had picked fresh mint and parsley and um, basil from my garden and chopped that up into it, feta cheese from Blue Ridge, um, we had sweet potatoes, delicata squash from Sunnyside, and potatoes, the purple and the red also from Sunnyside, and just sitting at the table eating that food first of all again it was delicious it's right. so good and i don't and have to do anything but olive oil and salt anything and super it's like, nutrient dense because yeah, it was so nutrient allowed dense. to ripen on the field right and it's like and then you know every single person and so i just think i sit back there and think about it the difference of like how i was raised mm-hmm. i was raised in the suburbs of atlanta my mom you know canned my dad vegetables. was a teacher everything processed canned vegetables pizza in on friday nights i loved it you know i mean sure. seriously it's like now looking back though um i saw it and i just comparing like that experience to the experience right now that we're having it just again it's so it's so multi-dimensional is mm-hmm. how i explain it it's a, it's delicious it's very healthy for you and we know every single character and where they do it how they do it all the food that sits on the table so that's how we live at home and there's no separation for me like personal it's, and, and, and it's professional. the way you view the world. It's how I move through the it is, world. Yeah, it is what the way I choose you express to do, your commitment to the food. It's, it's an MO. It's a way that you do it. So now I'm in a business, mm-hmm. and that's the way that we do it, you know? You've got to be more mindful for the cost. I mean, imagine the cost of doing, um, and, you know, again, this, for, for, for people that have, would like maybe complain about the prices at farmers markets mm-hmm. or, um, or the shops and all that, it's true. Relatively speaking, the farmer's market at DuPont is more expensive than the giant. Yeah, okay? right. Our gelato... And the product is fundamentally different. It's a different order. It is, totally. not, it is not apples to apples. Break it down chemically, it's, it's, it's apples to Cheetos is yeah, what it is. It is, 100%. And it's just something that's really important. And most people, I understand, most people are not aware of what goes into it. For the obvious reasons, you're not doing it. But it's like, imagine strawberry season when I get 40 flats of strawberries delivered from Chuck in um, Hanover, Virginia. I have to physically top every single strawberry from those 40 flats. I rinse the strawberries, I put them in the RoboCoop to make a puree, and then I have material to use. Right. The cost in $14 an hour, soon to be $15 an hour downtown environment that's a lot of money and so you've got to charge the money that makes you or allows you to continue to do that and again it's just important for us if we're going to do it that's the way that we're going to do it or we will not do it at all yep and so 
Yeah, you know, I, it's like it's so funny. I tend to go out on so many rants and tangents, so I have no idea hey, what the question is. Found where a willing audience started, here. So <laughs> you know, good, you good. and I are aligned on these matters. Yeah. But actually, I do want to talk about your team. That was a semi perfect segue. Um, so, when we talk about good food, we're not just speaking about ingredients that have integrity, we're also talking about producers with integrity. Clearly, you are one such producer. Um, and whenever I step into one of your stores, I notice that your team seems genuinely happy to be there. What do you do at Dolceza to earn and maintain the loyalty of your team? Man, that you know, so this is so funny because there's a lot of um, time and effort is spent on this. When we were in Georgetown, only in Georgetown, we had that one shop, which lasted for the first four years from 2004 to 2008. We were just in one shop, one kitchen. So we were there all the time. I mean, um, so anybody that we hired to come in to work with us would get to know all of this stuff mm-hmm. from being around us and we would They're get to know close. them right they would hear this all day long and you know how we would talk <laughs> to the customers about it and what was in the kitchen what we were producing and the farmers would come in and drop stuff off and all that so that naturally occurred as we opened bethesda in 2008 and then dupont 2010 and then mosaic 14th p city center etc then you had this space from the the that knowledge of the how and with the who to every single employee. Today we have 200 employees out mm-hmm. amongst all the shops. So probably th- three, four years ago, we started something called the Dolcezza Download, which is interesting enough because a month ago we birthed the Dolcezza Download here yeah. on full service radio on our show and everything. Cool. I'm talking about just the origins and the story and all that, where we all come from. So every single employee that comes into our, um, um, our shops to be hired they sit down with me at the table at the factory. Every other week, I have a Dolcezza download. And I sit down with the, two, the, the 10 new hires, 15 new hires, 5 new hires. And I have two hours. And I don't talk about hardly anything about Dolcezza, actually. I go back to, like, I grew up in Atlanta. I went to engineering school. I was always interested in psychedelics. I ended up in the jungles of the Amazon. I met <laughs> this girl named Bialetta. And it went all and on and on. And, it's, and, it, and it ends up into um, nowadays, Dolcezza, all this. But basically what I ask every single person that comes in to work with us, I don't care who you are. I don't care what training you have. I don't give a shit about any of that stuff, mm-hmm. about the diplomacy, about the experience. All I care about is who you are. And so what I ask about every human that comes in to work with us, and I, just, I always wonder how does it resonate? I, I don't really know. But all I say is, like, the brief moment that you intersect with us at Dolcezza, give a shit. Yeah. All I care, if you feel bad, pissed off, when you clock on or clock in and you're there for eight hours, six hours, whatever it is, make more of an effort. Know who are you working with? What are their names? Where do they come from? What's on the menu? Where do the farmers, um, you know, where are they located? What are they growing? The coffee. There's so much around us all the time of information that we can learn about if we just put our attention there. Mm-hmm. And so that's that. That's one major attempt that Dolcezza download. That basically I, I go on and all this like um, wild outlaw psychedelic shit. And they all fall madly. The, yeah. So you. it's really a good storytelling. <laughs> but at the end, I get them in the hook and I say, "Look, while you're here." Give a shit about what you do and then make that effort, whatever that means to you, you know, and you know, when you're kind of cruising, mm-hmm. don't be a consumer, be a creator. Okay. And th- I mean, I, I feel that that's a root 
of all humans right now mm -hmm. of why we're in the muck that we're in right now. People don't give a shit. We're consumers. People tell you whatever it is. Buy this product. Buy this ideology. Buy this political party. Buy this religion. And people buy it. And that's the problem. Without we're the question. fucking sheep. And we are the ones that allow all this stuff to happen. So if we would just take charge of who we are at a deeper level and not be the mindless consumer, there's a lot of forces that want us to be mm -hmm. that mindless consumer. It's not easy. It's very difficult. So that's really, a, you know, honestly, I bring everybody in. And again, I say at the end, it's like, look, if you want to run like hell from here because this is not your place, I'm fine with that too. Right. This Sooner is rather than later. Right. Please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if we're not fit, we're not fit. And we're not going to do anything to change that. So that's like a major thing to kind of create that. And then the obvious answer, you need to build an infrastructure. You need to have coffee training, one, two, three. Have sourcing training of the gelato. Have customer service training. Your managers that you have, you have to have training. It's like a lot of, it's a big infrastructure of training the fundamentals of how to do what you're doing. Whether sure. that's scooping or barista or management. And then all the farmers, the seasons. It's kind of, we always feel that we work with so much cool stuff and cool people that it's easy to turn you on to mm -hmm. all that stuff. And there's a lot of people that get that. And if they get it, that's the good, I hate to say, I hate the word employee, the partner, you know, that works there. Colleague. That's turn on f with the same stuff that you're turned on yep. with. And that, you know, easier said than done when you have 200, but, um, you know, I hope it makes a difference. You never really know sometimes. So then you got them in, you've got them hooked. Um, they understand the basics of the job. One of the things we really struggle with is communication. So when there's a change, how is it effectively expressed all the way through the it's line? Never. <laughs> I mean, like, you can always do so good. Oh, I mean, you man. think? I mean, yeah. Communication is always the tough thing because you know, I mean, how deep you want to go into that? Symbols are very inefficient for expressing to you how I feel. Mm -hmm. These symbols of words. If I could just show you how I'm feeling with a, a virtual reality head mount, that's coming soon. Wait till virtual reality's here. Then it's going to be so much easier and so much better. Then you'll be able to come into my world and I'll flay you with that crook neck pumpkin. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. You know, communication is always the always a tough i mean from from your own mate that you live with to your children out to the the you know on and on and on the further out you go it just um it's it's hard to clearly communicate but you know i mean it can be done to greater degrees of success than others so lots of documentation lots of evaluation lots of questioning lots of um sending out the documentation and then follow up with um evaluations yeah. make sure everybody got what we meant to say and go through actual tests so they have to actually answer the question so then you can also measure how well they understand or not understand where they don't understand you follow it's exhausting <laughs> <laughs> but it's so worth it it's like again for better and for worse this is the way that we do whatever it is that we do it's like it's just balls to the wall 100 percent. 100 percent. we don't cruise we just don't know how to and maybe hopefully when we get older and we have less energy we'll know we'll learn a little bit how to <laughs> i do don't that. know i don't think it's the way we're wired <laughs> nah, no it's definitely not we only run one speed it's full speed all the time 100 percent. what it is yeah it's a self-selecting filter so certainly it's like, yeah it kind um, of gets people out yeah, we are not short on in. stamina around here. I'll say that for us. No, it's manic. So, <laughs> finally, Rob, this is a show about minimizing our personal carbon footprint. What are, so, what are some things you do in your own life to reduce your environmental impact? Ride skateboards, bicycle, you know, at, the, at home, 
grow as much food as I can out back, grow my own cannabis, smoke my own cannabis, do not <laughs> buy from others, definitely don't, they don't know what they're doing. Um, do it yourself, do everything yourself as much as you possibly can. And then your community, the people that you surround yourself with also kind of tends to do stuff that way because just you hang out with people kind of into the same stuff that mm-hmm. you're doing. Um, I, you know, the, the answer to everything to me, and it has maybe so not really much to do with um, the, the dolcezza or the carbon footprint, is like go deep into your fucking psyche. Go deep into your soul. Sit down on your ass and meditate. Do yoga. Smoke a bomber. Watch the sun go down. Stay in silence for a good hour. Travel to far out strange lands where they're not speaking your language and they're not eating your food. Read the oldest books. Have beautiful sex. Go run in the rain. Swim in the ocean. Those kinds of things that kind of like give you feedback a little bit about who you really are as an, at an existential level, not the surface level. And then you'll learn more about you and you'll become more empowered and you'll be less of a consumer, a mindless consumer. You'll be more mindful. That's everything. Because you take that signal everywhere you go in every conversation and every interaction that you have. And that's all that matters. It's so simple. But again, there are so many forces that don't want us to be that way. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's not a good consumer. One who pushes back on everything that comes at you and questions it is a very bad consumer. Someone that doesn't question anything is a very good consumer. I think it just comes down to that. So take fucking control of yourself and your signal and, and take it wherever you go in every single interaction. That's the most important thing, you know, beyond anything else. And You know what, guys? Fuck the usual uh, closing remarks I give you. I can't improve upon that. It was perfection. We'll catch you next week on Everyday Enviro. Thank you, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure. Same here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>